Father, we thank you for your word. And as we uh, begin this week of Holy Week, we pray that um, you'll once again show us the greatness of this week, the greatness of your son and what he did for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, I don't know about you or how good you are at planning for the future, but um, no matter how well planned I think I've got something planned out, um, 99% of the time it doesn't happen according to the plan that I've thoroughly thought out in my mind. For example, when we're going away on holiday, the time has come to pack the bag, but the suitcase is at the mother-in-law's. So we've got to trek over to get that. There's no petrol in the car, so we can't set off on time. So we've got to go to the petrol station first. And then once we get on the motorway and drive down the motorway, it's not moving. Again, these thoroughly thought-out plans that I'd made for our trip away are ruined because of things happening that... I didn't see, or that I wasn't as planned as I thought I was for. Well, this morning in this familiar passage of the triumphal entry, we see Jesus has planned everything right down to the smallest detail. There's no circumstance that can come up that he hasn't already planned for. And that's the amazing thing that we see in this first part of this reading. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's passed through Jericho and he's at the Mount of Olives. And last time he was in Bethany, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And there's no doubt that news of Lazarus being raised from the dead would have spread across the town. And that's probably why, or part of the reason why we're seeing this large crowd following Jesus. But it is Passover week and there are far more people in Jerusalem than there would be normally. And it's an amazing scene of celebration of welcoming this King, King Jesus. And there's two things that I want to see this morning. And the first one is the King's sovereignty in verses 1 through to 6. I don't know if you saw it or if it struck you as that was being read. Mark's emphasis of Jesus being in control of every detail of this week, of this event especially. He's been making his way through. Earlier on in chapter 10, we see Jesus leading the way for his disciples. And he's told them what is going to happen to him. He's told them that he's going to die. But three days later, that he's going to rise from the dead. He's showed them the big picture. He knows exactly what he's going to go through this week. But what we see in these verses is that he's in control of even the smallest detail. He's leading his disciples, which takes us back to Exodus 13, where God led his people by a pillar of cloud and a pillar 
of fire. And that's what Jesus is doing. God is leading his people. He knows exactly what he's doing and where he's going. He's in total control. And then as you read it, I love it how everything Jesus says happens just exactly as he says it. So in verse 2, go to the village. Then we read in verse 4, they went to the village. You will find, they found, a colt tied. They found the colt. If anyone asks, verse 5, some people standing there asked. Say this to them. They answered, just as Jesus told them. And at the end of verse 2, untie it and bring it here. They found it. And verse 7, they brought it back to Jesus. It's amazing the control that Jesus has of this event right down to the donkey's colt being tied. He knows exactly what he's doing. It's so striking that he's in total control. Everything is planned by him. He's in absolute control of every circumstance that he faces. Every single detail he knows. There's no surprises for him along the way. There's no circumstance that can change the plans that he has. Getting the colt isn't by chance or by, circ- or by coincidence. It being tied up and the people asking isn't by coincidence. Whether it is a supernatural knowledge that Jesus has or whether he's prearranged it, it doesn't really matter. The point is that he's in absolute control of every situation, every detail. What we see in these first few verses is that Jesus is in absolute control of all things. This is his plan right down to the cult being tied up. Right down to the people asking, what are you doing? And if they can walk into a village and find the cult, just as Jesus said, surely what he said to them previously about what will happen to him this week will happen just as he said. So what does that mean for us? Well, in Philippians, we have this great picture of persevering as God's people. Running the race, pressing on, straining towards. And if we're to have a faith that perseveres, well, then we need to know and believe and trust that Jesus is sovereign over all. That he is in absolute control of all things over every single detail. He's the one who is in absolute control. He's the one we can trust with our future. He knows exactly what he's doing. And we trust in him whose words never fail. Everything the disciples were told happened just as they were told. We can trust and have confidence in the word of God who is in complete control over all things. So when we read in places like Roman 8 that suffering will, become, will come before glory, we can have absolute certainty and trust in those words that we will suffer, but we know that the end 
his glory. Or in Philippians, like we um, heard last week, when we're told not to be anxious about anything, but in all things pray, then we will have God's peace. We can trust those words. Or when we read the great commission to go out and make disciples, and as you do it, I will be with you. That's the great promise of Jesus. Well, we can have complete confidence and trust in those words because his words never fail. This is the king, the sovereign king over all things. He knows best. He knows every detail. So let us be a people who have complete trust in him. The second thing in verse 7 through to 11, the king's purpose. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've known something, but you've been able, unable to tell people. It may have been a job. You've got a job, but at this moment in time, you can't tell anyone because there's some paperwork that needs doing or whatever. Or it may be that you've found out that you're pregnant and you don't want to tell anyone until you've had the 12 12-week scan. The 12-week scan. At that point, then, you're free to go and tell whoever you want. Well, in this second part, we have something similar. Up until now, Jesus has never allowed such an occasion to happen. But now, the time is right. There had never been a public demonstration declaring that he is the Messiah. Every time that there was a chance of that, he withdrew from the crowd. He knew that if it was made public before this point, that the leaders would seek to get rid of him quicker. But the time wasn't right. No, the time is right and the place is right. The hour was upon Jesus and this was the beginning of the end. Now was the time to show the people to make this public display of who he is. When they brought the colt to Jesus, verse 7, and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. What was the significance of this donkey's colt? Why an unridden colt? Well, it was to declare himself as God's king. In Matthew's account, we see that it was to fulfill prophecy. Zechariah 9.9 Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly. And riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus riding into Jerusalem on this donkey's colt was to fulfill prophecy. It was symbolic, showing the people who he is. That he is God's king. It was a kingly act. He was coming on a colt to show that he was coming as a king not on a war horse 
but a king who would come humbly as a servant king to bring peace by giving his own life. As he rolled on this colt into Jerusalem, they threw the colts on the floors. They threw branches on the floor. It was like a red carpet for the king. It happened before in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 9, with, the, um, with King Jehu. It was recognising Jesus as the king. But it also showed what kind of king he was. He doesn't ride on into Jerusalem on a war horse, but on a donkey's colt in humility. It was an animal of peace. Isaiah 9, verse 6 says this. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's how he came to bring peace. He came humbly as the servant king to bring peace between God and man. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Then in verse 9, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. There's not just a large crowd, but they're shouting these great things, these great praises to Jesus the King. You can imagine the scene, can't you? It's like a Wigan-St. Helens game. The crowd is going wild. They're praising their team. They're shouting about how great the players are. They're shouting about what they will do to the opposition. That's what we have here, this large crowd. It's Passover time. And they're saying familiar things, which they would say every year at Passover, but they're now applying them to Jesus. They're seeing that the things that we've been singing and shouting in the past, they're happening. God's king is riding in on this colt. There's amazing celebration. They're shouting, Hosanna, save, save now. It's from Psalm 118. At last, God's king is here to bring the kingdom, to free us from the political rule of the Romans. There's great excitement among the people. Save us. You have that power to save. To rescue us. But that was the problem. They wanted a rescue from the Romans. It wasn't anything to do with their standing before God. <coughs> but Jesus came as God's king in humility, to be a ransom for many. The peace that Jesus would bring would be a peace between man and God. It reminded me of those great words of Philippians chapter 2. 
who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That sums it up. Jesus, God's king, was coming in humility to save people, not from political powers, but to rescue from sin. He rolled in on this donkey's colt to bring peace through his death on the cross. And as he rolled in that day, it reminds us of a future day where we will come back as God's king and we'll bring in his kingdom fully. He'll bring in his kingdom, which will last forever. So what does that mean for us? What should our response be? Well, I think we need to make sure that our hearts are right, that our hearts are for Jesus. Not in a superficial way as this crowd seems to be, but that our hearts are genuinely for Jesus. And just going back to Psalm 118, a few verses before the Uh, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We read this, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord save us, Lord grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For the house of the Lord will bless you. Peter uses that psalm in 1 Peter chapter 2 and it's a great way to finish by reminding us what our responsibility is as God's people Peter says in 1 Peter 2 verse 9 but you are a chosen people a royal priest and a holy nation God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light once you were not a people But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our response to what Jesus has done for us, as he rolled into Jerusalem on this donkey's colt, as the one who would, a few days later, end up on the cross, so that peace could be brought between man and God. Our response should be one of praise. Praise for what Jesus has done. He's called us and saved us, brought us into his people by the work of this king. And it should lead us into great praise. It should lead us to what we see this crowd doing on Palm Sunday. Praising God, giving thanks to God for this king that he sent to rescue But it shouldn't just be done with words. It should be done with our every action, in every 
situation that we find ourselves. In all things, we should be seeking to praise our great God for what he has done. So this Easter, let us once again remind ourselves of what God has done. He sent his humble servant king to rescue us. Let us be a people of never-ending praise for this great rescuing king. Let us be people who long for that day where he will return to bring order to this world where he will bring peace fully to his creation. Let us be people who long for that day where his kingdom will come, where his perfect kingdom will be brought in and that we will sing his praises never ending. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this great reminder of who your son is. We thank you that he came as a humble servant, a servant king who was willing to die on a cross so that that peace could be brought between man and God. And Father, I pray that we'll be people who respond in the right way, that we will that our hearts will be genuinely for Jesus and that we will seek to praise him in all that we do, longing for that day where he will come back and bring us in as his people. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.